Genesis 29, verse 31 to 35. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren, and Leah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because of the Lord, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son, and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son, and she said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And again she conceived, wait, <laughs> she conceived again and bore a son, and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, then she ceased bearing. Great job, bud. Uh, there you go. You got a round of applause in church. It's the pinnacle. Uh, hey, my name's Houston. I'm the pastor of preaching and teaching Eastside, uh, like was said earlier. And uh, I'm here to talk to you about this passage. And I don't know if you caught it, but uh, this is not a very fun passage. It's kind of a sad one. Uh, and we're going to dive into why it's sad. But, but what we're seeing in this passage is one woman, Leah... Her quest for love, her search for love. And you know, uh, I love this. It's great because you know, our culture really loves love, don't we? We love love. There's, in fact, a song by the Mowgli's. Uh, San Francisco, do you know the song? It says, I'm in love with love. And the idea of, I was hoping that would kind of spurn into song, but that's fine. Uh, a lot of disappointments today. Uh, mostly for Leah. So our culture loves love. And you know, a better preacher, I listened to some sermons preparing for this, uh, a better preacher would quote to you from like an anthropologist or maybe a social scientist or a historian talking about our culture's relationship with love. But instead, I'm going to talk to you about movies and, and music, pop music. Is that okay? Is that good with you guys? Thank you. Uh, movies in our culture that are about love I want to challenge you to think about love movies, movie, uh, romantic comedies, whatever, movies where there's a wedding, right? Where in the movie is the wedding? Always the end. That's right. It's the climax of the story, right? The whole movie built, for, built up to the wedding, and then, you know, they lived happily ever after, right? Every movie with a wedding goes this way. Not everyone, I'm sure. Or let's talk about music. Let's talk about the way that our culture talks about love and music, because music is a great place to learn what we really think about this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read you some lines from love songs throughout the years, all the way back to Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley, he said, wise men say only fools rush in, but I've really felt that there's heart Thank you. No, yeah, yeah. It, wise men say only fools rush in, but I can't help falling in love with you. Or, or Elton John. He said, I hope you don't mind that I put down in words how wonderful life is now that you're in this world. Or one of my favorites. Queen, Freddie Mercury. Can anybody find me somebody to love? Or another one of my favorites. Maybe a little closer home for some of us. Dashboard confessionals. Yes. My hopes are so high that your kiss might kill me. So won't you kill me 
so I can die happy. Classic, right? Classic. Our culture loves love. We have this picture in our culture that if you can find romantic love, then you'll be complete. Right? Tom Cruise, you complete me. Or, or our culture says that if we can find love, everything's going to be okay. You know, there's an old movie, love story. Love means never having to say you're sorry. You heard these lines? Our culture tells us love is the answer to everything. It's the thing that's going to give you value. It's the thing that's going to give you identity. It's a thing that's going to give you everything. It's going to complete you. And usually we mean romantic love. And so what is so wonderful about our passage today is that it opens up on a newlywed couple, post-wedding, and they have found not love, something far from love. And what we're going to see today in, in Leah's search for love is we're going to see a lot of truths that speak to us today. We're going to see three things in this passage. First, we're going to look at why Leah is searching for love. Second, we're going to see where Leah is searching for love. And finally, we're going to see where she actually finds it and how we can find it too. So again, why is she searching, where is she searching, and where she found it. So let's jump in, but first, we'll pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this chance for us to read your word, talk about your word. And Lord, I just pray that you would be glorified today, that you would speak, that you would speak to us through your word. Uh, I pray that anything that is not from you today would just be left aside. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be glorifying to you, Lord, our God and our Redeemer. Praise all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so first thing I want to do is we want to look back a little bit. We want to understand why Leah is on this search for love. And remember last week, Nate walked you guys through this crazy story of how Jacob married Leah and Rachel. And uh, I'm sure you remember, but Jacob, he was head over heels in love with his cousin, Rachel. And so he goes to his uncle Laban, and he says to him, you know, let me marry Rachel. And he says, like all good fathers do, sure, but you have to work for seven years for me for free to do it. And so Jacob does seven years of unpaid labor, tending his flocks for Rachel. And Jacob agreed, and he did it. But then, come the night of the wedding, uh, instead of Rachel, Laban brings his older daughter, Leah, and passes her off as Rachel. And so, you know, she's probably covered head to toe, wedding garments. Jacob's probably had way too many to drink. And, uh, you know, probably anybody could have passed as Rachel that night. And so they do their wedding vows, and that night they sleep together. And then uh, turn to chapter 29, verse 25. And we're going to read the funniest and saddest verse in the whole Bible. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. I would challenge you to find a funnier and sadder verse in the whole of the Bible. In the morning, it was Leah. And, and you, this verse captures Leah's story of her whole life. This verse captures Leah in a nutshell. 
she was the older sister, but it's, it's clear from the passages, it's clear from the story, that she was less beautiful than Rachel. It, it was clear that she was less liked than Rachel. And she probably grew up in the shadow of her younger sister. And now she's been told by her father that the only way she'll ever get married is if she tricks a man into marrying her, thinking that she was somebody else. Can you, can you imagine? And so Jacob demands that Laban give him Rachel, the woman that he intended to marry. And, and Laban, again, like the great father he is, says, fine, I'll give you Rachel too, but you got to finish out your husbandly duties with Leah this week. You have to finish your obligations and then work another seven years. So Leah's pain so far was not bad enough. Now she's with her husband on her honeymoon week, and her father has to bribe him to be with her. And she's an obligation on the week of her own wedding. And, and this uh, passage, or this last passage, ends with a very simple line. It says that Jacob slept with Rachel and loved Rachel more than Leah, and then he worked off the seven-year obligation. And do you see in this passage how Leah and these seven-year work obligations are kind of talked about in the same way? They are burdens on Jacob, they're obligations, they're speed bumps on the way to his true love. And so you can see that the setting for our passage is that Jacob got two wives, Rachel and Leah, sisters. And one is loved, and one is not. And our passage focuses on Leah, the unloved. And it's not too hard to imagine some of what Leah has experienced, right? She's probably been told all her life that she's second best, been told that she's undesirable. Consequently, she's been told she's unlovable. And it's clear in our passage what Leah wants more than anything, is she wants love. She wants to be loved. And she's desperate enough for it that she'll go along with this bait-and-switch marriage. And what we're going to see in our passage today is that once she was married, married, she was desperate for love from her husband. And I just want to say right off the bat, I, don't, I hope I don't need to tell you that this is a good thing. That she wants a good thing, something that should be hers. You know, the Bible actually commands husbands at multiple points, love your wives. So what Leah wants is a good thing. What she needs is something given to her by God. But what we see in this passage is that she doesn't find it. She doesn't find it. And so let's look at this story of rejection and heartache. Let's look at our passage today. 29, turn to verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And so we see what started off as preference has now devolved into something like love and hate. Jacob loved Rachel and hated Leah. And our scholars will tell you that this language of love-hate in this situation in the Bible usually is language of contrast. So what I mean is that what, what it means is that Jacob loved Rachel and did not love Leah. It doesn't so much mean that he loathed Leah, just that he didn't love her. But what I would bet is that if you were Leah, 
and you're in this situation, and, and your husband loves and adores your sister, his other wife, and cares very little for you, I bet hatred would make a lot of sense for what you feel. You feel hated. And so in our passage, we come to Leah's personal journey of looking for love. And what we're going to do is we're going to track that journey through her kids, of all things. We're going to see that when we read this passage, you know, it sounds a lot like an origin story or, or a genealogy. But when we slow down and when we chew on what's happening, when we chew on the story, when we chew on these boys' names, what we see is this, this tragic story of, of longing and rejection. And unfortunately, the story does not really get better for Leah. So buckle up. We're going on a bit of a sad ride today. But I promise you it's going to be worth it. And what I want to encourage you is, is as we're reading Leah's story, as we're reading about her children and how she's naming them and what she's experiencing, what I want to encourage you to do is listen really closely. Because my guess is that we're going to hear some things in this passage that maybe we've heard our own hearts say from time to time. My guess is we're going to hear some language that sounds awfully familiar to us. So let's jump in. Let's look at Leah's first child, Reuben. Verse 32. If you have your Bibles, open them up because we're going to be referencing the footnotes of all things a lot. Verse 32 says... And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. And so first thing I want you to do is, if your Bible has a footnote after the name Reuben, look down and see what it says. It should say something to the effect of, Reuben means see a son. So this is important. I'm sure you remember from the, the story uh, Jacob's story, that names in the Bible are very important. They're very significant. Usually they mark something in the story at that moment. And, and his name is See a Son. Reuben's name is See a Son. And that is a strange name to have, right? I mean, imagine you have friends. They're having their first child. They're in the, the hospital room. And the doctor you know, delivers the baby and says he's a boy. And you know, it's, it's heartwarming. Mother holds the child. And then later, the doctor's like, hey, have you thought of a name? Do you know what you're going to name him? And, you know, they, they nod, they look at each other. They say, we like what you said. He says, what do you mean? They say, we think we're going to name him, he's a boy. So that's wild, right? That would be weird. And I think it's supposed to be weird in our passage, too. It's supposed to feel strange for us. And, and the reason is because it needs to draw our attention. You see what Leah says. She, she names him, see a son. Because, she says, the Lord has seen me. He's looked upon my affliction. For now, my husband will love me. So Leah says to herself, there, now the Lord has given me a son. He's seen that I am miserable and hated. And now, surely, Jacob will love me. Can, can you hear that desperation? Can you hear what she's crying out for? Can you imagine the scene? Leah brings Reuben to Jacob, probably the first time he's met him. And Lord knows why he wasn't 
around for his birth, didn't name the boy himself. But Leah brings him and says, see a son. Do you love me now? And you can imagine Jacob saying something like, I never wanted this. And, and that's if he said anything at all. So unfortunately, Leah does not receive the love that she'd hoped for. Despite naming her son after being seen, Jacob did not see her. And so she kept trying. She got pregnant again. And they have another baby boy. And again, again, she names the boy herself. And this time she names him Simeon. Look at verse 33. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. So again, look at that footnote after Simeon. It should say something like, Simeon sounds like the Hebrew for heard. And that makes sense, right? It makes sense of what Leah just said. She said that the Lord has heard that I'm hated, and he's given me another son. And, it, and it's like Leah's saying, okay, the first one didn't work, but surely this time. Surely this time. The Lord has heard me, and he's given me another try. She's hoped beyond hope that even though Reuben didn't change things between the two of them, the Simeon would. Maybe a second child would. May, even though the first attempt to earn his love wasn't enough, maybe a second one will. You know, maybe her problem was that she didn't try hard enough in the first place. May, maybe the problem is, you know, Reuben wasn't as cute as he needed to be. May, maybe Reuben didn't have Jacob's eyes and so he wasn't attached to him. Maybe it was a numbers game. Maybe once Leah has enough sons, then Jacob will feel like this is a family and this is where he belongs. Maybe he'd forget all about Rachel and he'd finally pay attention to Leah. Maybe, maybe. And it didn't work. Again, it didn't work. Jacob did not see Leah despite their son Reuben. And Jacob did not hear Leah despite their son Simeon. And despite them both, he does not love her still. And so she does the only thing she knows to do. Try again. And again, she gets pregnant. Again, she has a baby boy. And this time she names him Levi. In verse 34, I think we see probably the saddest one so far. It says, Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. Leah is so desperate to be attached to Jacob. She's desperate to be able to do something in order to make him love her. She is desperate to not feel so alone and discarded. And she's hoping that now, three boys in, that something will change. Do you resonate with that? You know, in, in this culture at this time, women were often seen as second-class citizens, to say the least. And it was often expected that women had a duty to perform, and that was to have kids, preferably sons. And this is kind of the sum of her value in the culture. 
And the picture here is that Leah is doing everything she can in order to fulfill her duty. And by all external accounts, she's doing a great job. She's had three boys to win. She's faithful. She's dutiful. And her sister Rachel has not had any kids at all. By external measures, Leah should be desirable. And yet, instead of acceptance, she has found rejection. And instead of this attachment that she's looking for, she's just found distance. And instead of the love that she longs for, she's just found hatred. And I wonder, do you know what that's like? Do you know what it's like to go out into the world and and to destroy yourself looking for love? My guess is that every one of us knows this experience. Every one of us has had this kind of thing happen to us. You know, our culture, like I said earlier, our culture tells us that romantic love is the thing that will complete you or fulfill you or make you whole or give you value. Or, or maybe in working through counseling or just working through your own story, you've realized how much of your love has been dedicated or how much of your life has been dedicated to searching for your parents' love. Or maybe you think back to your childhood and you realize how much of your life has been looking for love from peers and friends. Wherever you're searching, I would bet my paycheck that each of us knows what it's like to search desperately for love in this world. You know, of course, we think if we could only find this person, if only my parents would, if only I could have, if only we could achieve enough, if only I could be lovable, if only, if only. But I guarantee you, even once you've found this thing, it's still doesn't cut it. You would still struggle with loneliness, feeling worthless, unloved. You ask any couple that's been married for a long time, the best marriages, and they will still tell you that they have to battle loneliness. They will tell you that they still have to fight this battle against feeling worthless. And in fact, if you peek into next week's passage, you'll see that even Rachel, the beloved, favored wife, feels worthless. She is desperate for children. And she's comparing herself to Leah, of all people. Do you see what I'm getting at? Let me ask you this. Do you feel what I'm getting at? Why is it that we all know this experience of loneliness, desperate need for love and attachment? And why is it that every single one of us knows what it's like to not find it? And it's because we were made for something more. In fact, I'll say this, we were made for a greater love. And we see that Leah, for a moment, learns this. And by looking at it, we will see that we can too. We'll see where she found the love. Look at the last verse of our passage today, verse 35. 
And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. This is where a passage turns a corner to a more hopeful direction. Each of Leah's first three boys were desperate cries for love and intimacy. But here, Judah's something different. Do you see the note for Judah's name? Do you see what it says? It says, Judah means praise. You know, Leah's explanation might seem inconsequential, but man, it is not. She says, this time I will praise the Lord. There's almost a note of sadness in it. There's almost this sense like Leah has accepted that this is a loss. She's accepted her loss. She's accepted that she will never have this love. And there is that note. It's there. But man, there's also a note of hope in this. See, this time Leah is not chasing Jacob's love. This time, instead of longing for something she doesn't have, she stops and recognizes what she does have. And she's even thankful for it. You know, this is the part of the sermon where the preacher says something like, you know, oh, if you're sad, if you're lonely, just thank God for what you do have. And you know, it could be worse, right? Forget that. Forget that. Sure, it's good to be thankful for what you have. Yes, it probably could be worse. But let's not for a moment think that Leah had some unrealistic desire or hope. Let's not for a moment think that it was unreasonable for her to want her husband to love her. She wanted this good, normal, healthy love. And in fact, if you notice, every time Leah talks about Jacob, she specifically refers to him as husband, highlighting what their relationship should be and the distinct lack of love in it. No, Leah wants a good thing. She wants her husband to love her. She wants real intimacy with him. She wants to get out of her sister's shadow. She wants to have value of her own. She wants these good things. Don't mistake it. Leah is not thankful because, oh, it could be worse. Leah is thankful because when she looks back, she sees a common thread. She thought back to earlier on in their marriage when she first got pregnant and Rachel didn't, and she saw the Lord's hand in that. And then she remembered when Reuben was born and how for the first time in her life, she felt seen. But it wasn't by Jacob, her husband. It was by the Lord. The Lord saw her and saw her misery, and he loved her. And then she thought back to when Simeon was born and how she longed to be heard. And she realized that for the first time in her life, she was heard, not by Jacob, but by the Lord. He heard her plight. He heard her story. And then she thought back to Levi and how she longed for attachment. And she probably realized for the first time in her life that she was attached to somebody. But again, it wasn't Jacob. It was the Lord. The Lord was the one who met her 
and her loneliness met her in her misery. It was the Lord that showed up. He was the one that was committed to her. It was the Lord who kept showing up. And it was clearly the Lord who loved her. And here with Judah, she seems to finally understand that. And she praises him for that faithful love. Friends, that's what we need to see from this passage today. We all know the experience of loneliness. We all know what it's like to look for love. And the Bible makes it really clear that it's because we were meant to experience God's love. You know, C.S. Lewis has a wonderful quote on this. You might know this. He says, If I find in myself a desire which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And friends, no matter how long you look, no matter who you find, and no matter what you do, you will never find the love and acceptance and value that you need. The satisfying love and acceptance and value. And you will only find it in the Lord. And what I want us to see today is that the Lord longs to give us this love. Look through our passage again. Do you see a God who stays far off and commands worship and adoration? No. No. We see a God who pursues those He loves. He loved Leah so much that despite the fact that she can't see past her own unrequited love with Jacob, he loves and pursues her still. You see a God who sees the unseen. A God who hears the unheard. You see a God who loves the unlovable and cares for this uncared for woman. And most importantly, we see a God who is willing to attach himself to us. Even those of us who have never had real attachment in our life. And we see here, we see that here in Leah's story. But friends, we see that so much clearer in Leah's descendant's story. You know, Judah, this fourth son, he's an important patriarch in the story of Israel. He becomes uh, one of the fathers of one of the 12 tribes. And, and probably one of the most important tribes. Because his tribe is the one that the kings always come from. You know, there's so many great kings, powerful kings that came from Judah's line. But the most important, of course, is our Lord Jesus. And in Jesus' story, we see in perfect clarity the kind of love that our God's about. In Jesus' story, we see again that God gave a son. But he was not just another heir. He was his own son. You know, where Leah longed for love and hoped that having sons would win Jacob, the Lord longed for our love and was willing to give his own son for us and to win us. And of course, you know, Jesus lived the perfect life that we never could. He died in our place and he rose so that one day we can too. I want to end with this. 
I think that if we were to tell the main beats of Leah's story to someone on the streets, we said, okay, if you were to replace someone in the story with God, who would you replace? Who, who does God sit in for? Who does he relate with the most here? And I think the average person would probably say Jacob, right? Like, like humanity, like we are just coming to God, just hoping he would love us, giving him these gifts, trying to win over his affection, trying to win him over. I think people think that God would resonate with Jacob as this kind of aloof guy that we're trying to please. But the truth is that if God resonates with any character in this story, apart from himself, it's Leah. He knows what it's like to love someone who doesn't love you back. And friends, he knows what it's like to sacrifice so much for someone who hates you. You know, Romans 5.10 says that while we were still God's enemies, we were reconciled through Jesus. Friends, that is why we will only find the love and acceptance that we need from the Lord. And, and forget, like, forget like these religious ideals, okay? You will only find the love that you need from the Lord because he alone, he is the only one who pursues, who sees, who hears, and who attaches and, and sacrifices so perfectly for us. And that is a life-changing type of love. That is a love that is worth meditating on, whether you know Jesus or not. And I'll end with this. I want to join Paul in his prayer in Ephesians 3. Really popular passage. He prays, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And with that, let's pray. Lord, uh, like I said, we join Paul and we pray that every single person in this room could understand with all the saints, could, could have the strength to comprehend the dimensions of your love. The height, the depth, the width, the length, the limitless love that you have for each and every one of us. The love that pursues us, the love that calls us, the love that changes us. What I pray that as we meditate on Leah's story, as we see in her story our own story of feeling unloved, our own story of feeling worthless, our own story of, of, of feeling like we don't measure up, I pray that we, like Leah, could learn the important lesson that you are the one who does love us and sees our worth and values us, enough that you even sent your son to die for us. And I thank you for this word and for this truth. And I pray that as we move to the table, that we would be so moved by your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.